G'day everyone, welcome to Porsche Talk, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. If you're into rear engine, front engine, even mid-engine cars, there'll be something here for you, but more importantly, we're gonna talk about the people who are passionate about the brand we love. My name's Mark, I'm from the YouTube channel Mark and Cars. If you have any contribution, interest, want to even be involved in the podcast, send me a message. I'm available on most social media as Mark and Cars. Today we have a special guest, John, who you may be familiar if you're a YouTube viewer of my channel. He has presented a few amazing cars on the channel. I've even had the opportunity to drive a couple of them. Today. Thanks for joining us today, John. Thanks for having me. John doesn't really have any idea on what we're going to talk about today, but I want to talk about his history with the Porsche brand and some of the cars he owns. We might even talk about some non-Porsche cars too, John. So, John, when did you first discover the brand? Uh, probably in the early uh, 2000s. I was uh, sitting on my boat um, over on the island here called Watnest and uh, talking to a guy about um, going and doing the uh, round the houses in northern and he says oh come up and have a look and what we could do with round the houses and from there i i went up and had a nose and got all enthusiastic about you know owning a car that i could actually go and do it so i went home and worked out what the what the regulations were, were for that particular event and it was a you know pre-1976 car so okay what's the best 1976 car that's going to be uh, something that's nice Wee-hee, yep the uh, 911 had uh, five-speed gearbox, four-wheel disc brakes, dry sump, and uh, quite a lot of output and good power to weight and uh, great handling straight off the bat and a lot of uh, go-fast parts. So that was really the start of, um, of, of why I got involved in Porsches. Is that, that's the Carrera 3.0 you currently have that's developed within Inch's life, is that that car? No, no, I had, had um, it was actually when, when uh, USA was, um, you know, at their knees in, in their uh, GFC and I, I grabbed it. a car out of there which was a 1971 uh, Target Top um, car and it had a, uh, an, an S um, engine and a 2.4 S engine, uh, it uh, had the old 901 box and it was actually the guy used it for driver training out of Colorado and okay. for the um, the healthy sum of $10,000 US when our dollar was parity, which was marvellous. I um, literally got it over from the US and turned the key and um, did a few events and and uh, got the bug. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Like, great entry. You know, for what is essentially, what it cost you about? 15 grand all up, landed, I imagine, yeah. maybe even less possible. And I got on to put some tires, some brand new tires in because <laughs> the US was a lot cheaper to buy tires and had, did a few events. And uh, at that time, I, you know, at, at the, the track Barbagello, I was, you know, very hard pressed to, to, to break the um, 78 or 76 um, second per lap um, range around there. And um, You've come quite a full circle since then, but we'll come to that. Yeah, most certainly. Yeah, no, that's that's it. You know, people with boats get foot disease. People with cars get, you know, kilowatt or horsepower disease. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, unfortunately, I've been tarred with both of those brushes from both 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 hobbies. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, two point four S. Yeah. Great motor, revy as, and it's sort of like I reckon they're actually a pretty sweet spot between that whole rev and torque balance. Yeah, it was great, and it was a carburetor version. He'd put um, some uh, Webers on it, and um, you know the S cams, and it was quite quite a car that pulled well. Um, the rigidity of the the car um, being, being a target top, and it had like a half cage in it. So I decided, um, you know, I, I want to get some more output out of this. And the the two point four, you know, you could do do a little bit too, but it really needed to get you have a three liter block. Um, so you could, you know, get some um, compression into the thing and get some cubic inch. Um, so um, I've decided oh, I'll put that on the market and try and hunt myself down a um, something with a three litre or 3.2 um, to keep within those amalgations that I needed to for that sort of event, a historic. I needed a, you know, pre-76 car and um, hunted down a... Um, a, um, a three a Carrera three out of um, out of New Zealand. It was a, a car that had done a couple of Targa races over there in, in mild tune, pretty well standard engine um, other than exhaust, 
and a little bit of suspension mods and, and some seats and um, it had done you know a, a few um, road targa events which was you know quite good so I nabbed that over there and that at that time when actually New Zealand was at its knees um, with, with their downturn it was $18,000 New Zealand which was about 16,000 Australian and 5k to drag it over and drag the car um, the car over as um Listeners with any ear would know that from the accent, John was obviously a Kiwi originally. Now, probably a proud Australian. Oh, most certainly. Yeah, okay, good yeah. one. And um, that sounds like a bargain. What year was this when you got that? Oh, that three? was um, around the 210 um, time, it, 2010. There's a really good chance there are people listening to this podcast hoping to buy their first 911 that are just crying right now, the, the dollar figures you're throwing into this conversation. Yeah. You know, it's horrifying how the market has gone north, particularly with the COVID tax and the 911 tax combined. It seems to go exponentially, you know, with what's going on with those 911 cars. You're just getting out of reach for so many people now. Yeah, most certainly. It's, it's actually quite sad because they are out of reach for, you know, a lot of people unless you, you know, have the um, the the knowledge to be able to restore one. But any car that um, that even needs re- restoring, you know, their, their um, entry level um, is, um, is expensive. Uh, even you know, going right down to the nine two fours, four fours, and all that, they've all, all taken a big run. Um, but unfortunately, with a lot of those, um, because their value was has been low for so long, their maintenance hasn't been kept up. So when you get them, sometimes you get quite a rude, a rude awakening when you have to go and do some um, major service work that uh, it needs more than you know you would hope it had needed. I, th- I believe that would have been the case with that first 911 you bought as well, that could have been fallen into that category because at that year around 2000, that would have really been the bottom of the value of that vehicle. But you, you bought a bargain. Most certainly, yeah, it did. And, and the guy was um, using it for driver training. And, so it would have and, been a well-maintained car then. And, sure. and aftermarket parts in the States were so cheap and, you know, the cars themselves were so cheap so they could swap, you know, because Porsche is so great, you can you can swap and swap parts from, from various... Anything. Yeah, within anything. those air-cooled uh, ranges, they're brilliant, you know, like the Volkswagens could do the same and uh, they sure. followed it through, which is, which is really good because you can get some go-fast parts at that time, um, or for, um, later model cars or, or higher output cars for you know, insignificant investment. Yeah, sure. The um, the 901 box, I owned a 914 with a 901 box a number of years ago, and I actually didn't mind the dog leg first. I think as a, a fun driving car, because the first is really a standstill gear on that gearbox. And I'm surprised that it hadn't been, you know, when they went to the 915 box that they didn't, that they did change it to a standard H pattern. I don't know if it's pressure from outside influences. How do you feel about the 901 compared to the 915? Well, I actually drove. I've got the, a 1969T, and I drove that oh, yesterday. Yes, yes, okay. And um, I haven't had that out for a while, and it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. I think it would have been basically. Um, it, it's the 901 with the with the gear selection system that they have um, is is just not not user friendly for people that are hopping in and out of um, various cars. And as you said, sure. pressure pressure market pressure would have done it, you know. And you know they, they weren't you know sold as race cars, and that was obviously you know um, a leftover from racing. So you know you can take off them first, and then you know second, third, fourth, fifth, um, uh, all in the H. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, we'll come to the 911T. So you've got the Carrera 3, you went racing in that car. Still, it's that car you still have today. Yes. It's got more aero on it than a, uh, a Lamborghini Aventador at the moment. It's off the chain, which we'll, again we'll come to. So you've had that car for about 11 years or so, 12 years, that sort of time. That's the Kiwi car. Yeah, no, that's true. And uh, it's metamorphosed into what it is now. Originally, I um, just ran it in pretty well stock form other than I I put um, a set of Webbers on it, Um, 964 cams, uh, because it was actually... 
um, a rest of world high compression engine in it. Sure. Um, so it had the good attributes, and I put a, a bit better headers on it. Uh, suspension, sway bars, bushes, you know, like pretty well off the bat. I did that and um, and took it to the track and uh, learned to drive it. You know, my, my my background in recent years has not been tarmac work. It's um it's all been uh, gravel and dirt from uh, doing desert racing and. Uh, here and in the US and uh, and then rallying in here and in New Zealand and the like, um, going to tarmac was, you know, quite the learning curve. Sure, and yeah. I remember that car, that 911 um, Carrera 3 that, uh, you know, someone put a, a 70, they used to, they, they still do, they mark the windshield of what your nominated time or what time you think you can go around so they can seed you in the start order. And they put 70 seconds on it and at that, when I first got it and, uh, you know, trying to break 72, 73 was a big hardship. And that, that <laughs> and they actually wrote it on with a pen. Funnily enough, it's still on the old window. Now it's all plexiglass, but the old original glass, that 70 seconds is still there, which, you know, now the car's, um, you know, d- doing 61s around, you know, the Barbagallo circuit. Sure. So um, it's taken a few years of development to get to the uh, yeah. point today, obviously. Yeah, it has. It has, and it, um, you know, I, um, those three leaders you can only do you know so much with them. Um, so I, I got a free two uh, block and short block, uh, and um, you know, it went to the three point four, uh, just with barrel and pistons, and built that car with some decent um, in, induction. Um, I've still naturally aspirated, but put some good good sized PMOs and, and exhaust and, and porting work. Um, and then put a full set of gears to match what the engine turned out to be. Um, so, um, and, and that's, you know, the quickest way to get one of these these things going is get the right ratios. You know, we're not doing uh, often autobahns at 300k an hour. So, you know, bring it to the, the fastest for whatever the track that you're, you're going to be running at is um, in fifth gear is um, where your red line needs to be. Yeah, you're sure. only, so you should hit that at once every tra- every lap. Yeah, yep, good one. <laughs> then you and know you're right. <laughs> you're right. The development of the suspension on that car, a lot of trial and error, using advice from existing drivers of 911s. How's that ended up? Like, how did you get from that 72, 73 down to the 60, low 60s? We're talking about seconds in lap time here, by the way. Well, the, the car uh, uh, somewhere around the 1240, 1250 kilo mark um, Good uh, out, of, out, of, out of the box. And, you know, coming from the racing that I've been doing, I know the first thing you do before you go throwing a lot of money at engines and, and things like that, and I did this before I did all the engine work on it, um, is uh, put it on a massive weight loss program. Add lightness. Uh, yeah, that's it, add lightness. And uh, it's unbelievable. I took over 260 kilos out of this thing. Well, it's it's now, it's wet weight. Um, without me in it is, is 950 kilos. Yeah, that's pretty light. Um, and, in that, and I added a lot of cage in that as well, inside intrusion. Um, because I, you know, I've got gone to, to um, you know fiberglass doors, boot, bonnet. It's uh, now a, sl- uh, a slant nose without lights, um, and um, the rear guards are, are now wider, so I can um, you know put the, the the feet that I need underneath it to gain the traction that I need, um, and um, a lot more aero have uh, been. Has really brought the times down. Sure, uh, I was I was in the forced you know, that car onto the ground. Yeah, basically. basically falling physics is what it's doing, and um, it's it's you know falling uh, falling physics through through corners of what um, that the car's actually heavy, but um, get along the straights and try and lighten it up um, by um, not having too much drag. It's a very fine line because it's by no means a high output vehicle um, to push the amount of aero that's on it because it has uh, you know front diffusers um, and a full flat floor all the way to the front. The rear diffuser is um, a monster on it. Yeah, place. it's it's and 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 that that works so well of um, of keeping it to the ground um, and because it's uninterrupted air um, of aero to deal with versus you know putting um, big. Uh, 
spoilers and, and wings sure. on. It's yeah. a very interrupted and dirty air going over the car. We're underneath the car. You're dealing with between the ground and the floor, which is uh, uninterrupted. So, you know, you get good adhesion and um, and and that's, you know, sucks it to the ground if you do your aero, right? Yeah, well, those, uh, those well, look at the Le Mans car from the 80s when they, when Norbert Singer cottoned on, you know, with those early cars. The, um, so with the, on, let's talk about the other diametric opposite to that car that you have in the garage. You got a bit of a problem with 356s? Yes, yes, I've um, got a bit of an addiction <laughs> to the 356 clan. How did that come about? Um, it, well, that's also another trip sitting on my boat in boredom over over at Wado. I, was, I went to the Dome Cafe there, and they, this is a, just a, a cafe in West Australia that has um, they have reading literature that's planted around the place that you can read magazines. And one that caught my attention was a British magazine is better than money in the bank. <laughs> and, um, and 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 so okay, let's have a nosy at this. You know, and um, so we had a read of that magazine, and and um, one of the cars that it spoke about that is better than money in the bank was um, a three five six. So I thought, oh, that, that'd be nice. I wouldn't mind owning one of those, and um, and so I, I went to and had an Ozzy of where I could find one. That was about two thousand and eight. And I was I put an ad in, in the newspaper in, the, in, in those days. Um, it wasn't so prevalent for the internet um, putting ads in, but I whacked an ad in and wanted either a um, a three five six or a uh, a nine thirty or the nine eleven turbo. And I was over looking at three five sixes at in Victoria at one of the um, the dealerships that sells um, you know classic cars, and I got a call from a guy Is over in Dutton? Perth. It was actually Dutton's, yeah, and um, got a call from a guy in Perth, and and he's got a car, and my excitement was was just out of this world because when it was an Australian delivered car and obviously in right hand drive and and uh, when I asked him you know what sort of value what sort of dollar value is wanting it was you know half of the what I was looking at the cars over there because the market was so large and the east then a lot of people after them um, you know the values were higher so um, I quickly got got back and without too much excitement and tried to show it and popped around there and it had seized brakes because it hadn't been used for a while and then I jacked it up and you know you, you, the standard places where uh, these older cars um, have a little bit of corrosion um, it had a little bit of that so I did have a bit of bartering powder to pull it down to the um, the sum of um, like a good Kiwi would well like yeah. like like <laughs> like any self-respecting uh, guy that's in cars would yeah. 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 yeah and a good Kiwi also yeah, and yeah. a good Aussie yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. a wheeler dealer that we learn but um, so yeah that that's where um, that came and, and and there was a, a he had a child and he, the car was called um, to the child was Stutty, that was yeah, his okay. nickname, yeah, okay. and that is a a slate grey three five six B nineteen sixty and with red upholstery, a beautiful looking car, great colourway, yeah. It, it is. It's a lo- lovely car, and it didn't need a lot to be done done with it. I, you know, dragged it on a trailer and, and rebuilt the brakes, and and um, you know, it did a little bit of the rust repair, which was very minor. And um, have loved that car. It, it's it's amazing. It just every time you you turn the key, it starts and it drives so nicely. It, you know, the gears are nice and loose because it's really an original um, original car. Um, it had had a, a sympathetic restore of um, of uh, the paint, um, you know, many many years ago. Um, but it's um, just a lovely car. And when I was buying that car, I I, um, I was so happy to buy it. I called a buddy of mine and and I says, I've just bought a uh, Porsche, you know. And he says, well, one Porsche, you know, you said you're going to start collecting them. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I need more than one then. So, and then um, I was looking at a 930 from a few days earlier and when they actually bought that the next day. Is that so right? that was the start of it. Yeah, yeah, 930 the following day. If we were backwards and forwards with bartering on the on the dollar value, but sure. the, the you know that three five six at purchase the value was around the forty five k and the nine thirty, which was a very very tidy nine thirty. Still it's, is. It's it, it, yeah no. It's I would have lucky have done seven hundred six hundred k in it since I've owned it, 
and um, it's a, a very tidy, you know, black on black um, 9.30. Low K too, isn't it? That Ridiculously low K. Yeah, that's, um, I think it's in the, the 50,000 K mark. Um, that's amazing and, when you think yeah. about those numbers today with what the car values are like. Yeah. The, um, just for listeners, I will link a video below where we actually did a walk and talk through John's car collection, and there is three 356s. In the yes. collection, yep. So there's the slate grey one, the T5 B coupe that we've just talked about. You've got a cabriolet and an SC coupe. But where did the cabriolet come along? How did you trip across that car? Yeah, the, the cabriolet came, came along was in an auction in New Zealand. Okay. Um, and uh, it was a, a guy that had a, a load of Volkswagens and he passed away. He had lots of combis and, and, and alike. Sure. And he had this one 356. And um, I went over there and had a nosy at it. And this thing, this thing was an interesting car. It had this this whole chassis that someone had made. I, I think in the U.S. because it came. It was actually a German delivered car um, to a place not very far out of Stuttgart. As an owner, it spent most of its life in Germany and then was bought and in the U.S. into New Jersey which in the eastern U.S. is a very well-salted area, uh, meaning they salt, salt the ice on the, on the road, and uh, that adds to corrosion. And this thing here was so, so rotten, they built this angle-iron chassis on this car. Oh, really? Tell me about this. Yes, yes. It, 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 was, um, it was unbelievable. So, uh, but it was drivable. I got the thing going and um, got it from this auction and, and took it around and took it to a container um, four-day place and got it shipped to Perth. And then um, I wanted a project car you know, um, to actually you know, rebuild one from, from nothing. And, um, well, an angle-iron chassis is a good place to start. Uh, this, <laughs> this thing took weeks to actually carve out this angle-iron uh, out of the... And there was not a lot left on this particular car. I remember sending it to the sandblasters and it coming back. And luckily, I welded a lot of cross braces, um, you know, from the front to the back because you weren't worried it was going to come back in a bucket. Well, it was it was pretty well like that, and this thing, you know, took hideous amount of time and three full sheets of um, of the right gauge materials to because most of the parts weren't weren't available because they, you know, three hundred mil around the whole car of the inside was missing. Oh. Um, this thing, we had to chop the whole front off, the whole back off, and there was nothing hardly there. It was like, you know, lots of measurements. Lucky I had a, the 356 and 1960s one that could sit beside it to take some measurements from sure. because this came back as three parts of the car, well, front, so. middle, and back. Yeah, okay. Mm. The, um, to look at that car... Considering how much work you've done to it, it's a pretty sympathetic restoration. Like, it's an of-the-era type feel. Like, if you told me the car's had a respray, but it's still original, mm. it has that feel about it. It doesn't feel like it's been over-restored, for want of a better term, you know? No, it no, a, it wasn't. A, it feels like a car of the era, you know? So, like, I've been fortunate enough to drive that car to one of the um, concourse one year, and drives fine, everything works fine, it goes in a straight line, all that sort of stuff. So considering how much was missing from that car, mm. you guys have done a pretty good job on that restoration. Yeah. I'm surprised after that one, though, you got into the uh, silver car, the SC, like, to the level you did after knowing what it was like going through that car. Yes, yeah, mo most certainly the, um, that particular one is a Super 90, that uh, cabaret, um, which is um, you know very nice to have uh, one of those with a little bit more output, and that's a real spirited driving car. But a one-on-one -on -one that, that that I wouldn't mind taking out and driving um, and using because uh, at that that was you know like the third car that I had in, in other than the race car of my collection. I at that time the addiction wasn't wasn't as high as what it turned out to be with the collection. So. I wasn't anticipating, you know, getting in as deep as I have with car collecting. Yeah, okay. And um, so the SC, it's a silver car, navy blue interior, probably in the history of the Porsche Club, the most winningest car of the Concours. I think every year it's entered, it's either one outright or one best air cooled, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yes. so the, um, and, and in all honesty, way better than any car's ever left the factory. 
Yeah, that that is an amazing re- restore on it, and and the, because I was retired, I had the time to to do everything perfect, and that was really there was no substitute. Um, I didn't have to have it to to any budget or any time because I did work myself. So I just wanted to see how good I could actually get one. And well, um, it is, you've done a good job. It is yeah, a good that one. is that is a great a, a great car, and it, it drives like a brand new car. It it's, does. It's, it's lovely to it's lovely to take out, and I do take it take it for runs because it, it you know they they drive so nicely. Yeah. The um, yeah considering. To use them as a metric against a modern car isn't fair because of the era they come from. But that particular car, that's yeah, that is a stunningly stunning car. Don't just look at, but to drive it is really it, like when I again fortunate enough to you, you shared it with me that the car just drove unbelievably well. Like you know everything's tight. In fact, I'd be surprised if it was that good when it was new. Probably not. You know, it's we tried to do. You, yeah, the components that you could get to a place, you know, suspension components were, were very, very um, as, as original as you can get. And it's, um, it is it is just a very nice car. Like all of them are really nice, really nice to drive. But that one, because of the extent of the restore, there was no, nothing left to chance. Everything had gone through where the, the other, um, the cabriolet, um, you know, the, we didn't need to go through to the gearbox, so we didn't do that. The engine was fine with this one. Everything was stripped and started again. And, um, and it took you know a number of years, but the great thing about it, it was by no means a bad car to start with. Sure, it was not a cot case like the uh, the, the, the Cabriolet. So you know, and it, it was a left-hand drive, and the previous people had swung it over to right-hand drive. So I put it back to left-hand drive. Um, it was a car that was an Italian delivered car. Um, the um, does, it the does it still have the Italian um, taillights in it? Um, or they? Yeah, I, I kept it with the European taillights on it, sure. mm-hmm. and uh, just to try and keep it as authentic as as possibly uh, can. And and uh, um, and it's it's um, yeah, it's it's really lovely lovely to have and being the custodian of it. Um, you know. There's going to be at some point in the future, someone's going to be grateful that you put that energy into it. I'm sure. The, um, so we've got we've gone through it. Let's talk about the Porsches we've gone through so far in the conversation. You got your first not two point four litre Targa, then the three Carrera three point which is now a race car. You still have, yep, uh, track only. The slate grey three five six B T five. We've got the Super ninety cab. We've got the three five six SC coupe. Cup car. 996 Cup car? Yes, yeah, I guess the next one along that totem pole is a, uh, a, a Carrera, um, a Cavalier Carrera. Hang on, I didn't mention... an 86. I didn't mention the um, turbo, the 930. I forgot to mention the 930. Oh, yeah, 930. that's in there too. Yeah, it's yeah. the... Um, what year's the 930? Uh, 88. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, so it's... You're just before the... Yeah, the uh, full Miami Vice Pack. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, it's or the, bad boys or whatever it was at that year. Oh, well, it's it's the one that was um, the pinup at um, on most most young kids' um, window um, window and doors of their bedroom. So they you know that. Car. Oh no, it's, it's lacking the slant nose. If it had the slant nose, it would have oh, been perfect. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know that slant nose. Yeah, everyone had to have them, didn't they? Oh, they're they're pretty neat. They're pretty neat and. But you know, for the aero, it was the reason I put the slant nose on that on the race car. I was right on the race yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. most certainly it just it just married it in so well, and just it gets cleaner air and and more connection to the aero going over the car, and it's though you know they, they were done for a reason, and um, and which is great. But you know, the nine the nine thirty is a lovely lovely car to drive. That's another you know, like all of the Porsches, you turn key and they go, and and which is um, important when you've got multiple cars because when you want to use them. Yep. On that day, you, yeah, you know, yeah, once a month or however often yep. you know, get the opportunity to get into it. Yeah, you do want the thing to work. You don't want to spend two hours working on it to take it for a drive, do you? No, well, it's, it's handy to uh, to have them turnkey and go. You, you, You've got English cars for that problem, haven't you? Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, I do have one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the um, so tell me about the the cab, the nine eleven cab. What's, what do you got there? Oh, the nine eleven cab. That's eighty uh, six. It's the first of the um, the Carreras. Yep. And um, it's it's red. It's actually very very low K. It was a car that was bought out from the UK. It was a British um, 
uh, delivered car was brought out to New Zealand and used um, as a rental car when um, the ships, um, the cruise ships used to come into New Zealand and this this particular guy rented out um, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari and uh, a number of Porsches um, to the guests and let them drive up, you know, an exotic car for the day. Whereabouts is this in Auckland? Yeah, and this is actually in a place called Mount Maunganui, which is oh, halfway down is. Yep. The, um, mm-hmm. the North Island on the East Coast. Yep. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't aware of cruise ships pulled in Mount Maunganui. Yeah, yeah, they do. That so the tower was is the place they yep. uh, that they pull into, and uh, so that th- that car was um, really one that I put in um, in a container to when I was bringing in the nine eleven T. Yeah. Which, okay. So you, so you were just. You had the real estate in the can. You thought, yeah. I'll bring it because it's the right yeah. price at the right time. Well, exactly. They did the deal. Uh, it was better to bring a 40-footer in. So, um, yeah, that the was the stuffing. The difference 20 and 40 is pretty yeah. small, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. That, that was, you know, the the uh, stocking stuffer. Yep. And, and it's a good little car. It's um, it's, it's done 30,000 um, miles. It's yeah. really, really, for the year, it's ridiculously low. And yeah, it is sure. it is a tidy car other than you know a few few scratches that, that i think these people you know you've got a lot of photos of um people with buckles on leaning on the bonnet or something yeah, on yeah, the hood sure. <laughs> yeah the um just for listeners that thirty thousand miles if you're an aussie it's about fifty thousand k so it's nothing in the scheme of uh you know an 86 car no. yeah that's probably yeah that's yeah. amazing yeah yeah oh, look if it was a ferrari that'd be high case for an 86 car but <laughs> as, as a porsche that's um yeah that's sounds like a great car and um, so the 911T, we've done, we have actually done a video on the 911T on its own, had a good conversation about that car. But for listeners that haven't watched the video, let's talk about the car on the Dunny. Yeah, the Dunny car. <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, that's, that's, that's a classic. Well, this particular car was um, left on top of a mechanic's workshop um, toilet inside the workshop. And um, how did you come across it? How did you come across it? Well, I got, I got wind of it through, um, oh. yeah, through one of the, the the owner of the car, and and he wanted me to to, to move over some um, equip, panel beating equipment with the car that he could use. So we did a deal, and um, we dragged this. Or I dragged this particular car in. And um, and he's he's an absolute artist as a panel beater and and uh, he set to um, in pretty well two years work um, to bring this car back to uh, its its glory that it is now and it won uh, best air cooled at the uh, Porsche Concours uh, last year and hopefully I can um, I can pop it in this year and. And, and do equally as good, if not, um, you know, best of show because it does deserve it. It is a it is a absolutely lovely, and the colour of it Irish green, Irish green, um, yeah, and tan interior, yeah. And I kept the velour. We, we we put this thing back to as original as we possibly could. And being the '69 is sort of that that year with a stepdaughter and and a daughter. That's um, in between <laughs> the pair of them. Um, so it'd have its like, short wheelbase yeah. versus long wheelbase, and this car had lots of weird bits thrown at it, so like run out of parts and yeah, okay. new parts, and there were testing parts. And so to get it to be authentic, even like the door handles, they were a one-year type door handle. Really? Um, yeah, very unique door handles. Sixty-nine. A lot of them, you know, and people loosely put, you know, in their advertising parts, you know, you know, 65 to 69, but yeah. it actually was 68. 68. Yeah, yeah. Right. and 70 plus, yeah, yeah. 69, yeah. had a few... I can um, imagine you end up with a lot of parts you didn't need. Well, we've got a lot of long parts. Um, yeah, sure. So, but uh, all in all, it, you know, the procurement of the components were the hardest and a few things that had to be, you know, modified to to, to, to get them to work properly and, and look authentic. But it is, it is a lovely car, and I, I drove it yesterday, um, took, took it up the coast here, and it, it, they go really well. You know, 2.2, you know, they go great. Yeah, rev, lo- rev, revy little motor, though. Oh, things. they're brilliant. And, and you see why they still race those two-litre motors, can't you, in the oh, UK, you know? Exactly. And, you know, for a class car... Um, like like running, running that that type of class, um, it, it'd be a hell of a lot of fun against like and like vehicles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the um, the last of the short wheelbase cars, 
Yeah, no, long first the, of oh, first long. long. First long. First long, right? Okay, yes. yeah, I was going to. Yeah, first thinking long. of the year model there. I was thinking yeah. when you mentioned earlier about short wheelbase. Yeah, no, it was the first, yes. of, the, first of the long wheelbase. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they looked nice, you know, the, uh, one of the last of the long hoods. And uh, they, pretty, they're pretty just. Car. Yeah, that they are. And in this colour combination, um, it is quite unique. It's got 14 inch Fook wheels. 14? Uh, yeah, 14, which is really, you know. Okay. I'm, I'm telling you, you should be grateful they came on the car because I can find in some would oh, not be that easy. Yeah, exactly. And they're all the correct date stamped. Um, they're very, very lucky um, to, to have it. So, you know, did luck out on a few things on that, on that particular car. And um, but since then, I haven't I've decided not to, not to, you know, get involved in doing too many more restorations. Because it seems to be, you know, the value of um, cars that, um, you know, of the early Porsches that, that are as close to original um, with patina of, you know, the little nicks and scratches and things like that, that people can live with. And they always have a story about oh, how they got that nick or how that upholstery got yep. a slight tear in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be where the value is, the story of the car. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how that's coming about, particularly even cars with... Um, uh, like uh, early cheap restos, you know, like a 70s restoration on an I-11, the car still gets good money now, even though it's had that, because it was done cheap, but if it's still untampered with since the 70s, it still seems to get good value. Like you said, the the patina story, etc., about the car just seems to be amazing. You know? It does, it does, and it's you just can't recreate that. And the story, well, you can, it just won't be for another 30 years. Yeah, well, well <laughs> most certainly. Well, put it this way, we can't recreate Yeah, that's that. right. <laughs> well, not, not to benefit from it anyway. No, no, most certainly. Mm-hmm. Most certainly it's, it's, it's the way it is. Yeah, and um, so that's the 911T. Is that your most recent car, Porsche? Yes, yeah, that okay. is the most recent Yeah, and you had the night, you've got a 996 Cup car in the middle there yes. as well, yeah. which is a, just an opportunistic Yes, was it? it was. Um, it's, it's really one of those things that was uh, at that particular time. The road cars had already had their race and run, run and, and got quite expensive, and everyone knew the values of them. And everyone was trying to hunt them down. So you know, to try and get a good a good deal on a um, of this of a, a road going nine eleven and let alone a GT three um, was you know a very expensive car. And I, and then so I was looking at oh what about cup cars because you look at the history of the previous Porsche um, designed and made race cars uh, their value is very high so it's really I, b- I bought it as more of an investment type thing um, and I, I wanted one that was. Um, as original as possible. This is still sealed engine car, 7,000 kilometers on this car. And it's, um, you know, pretty well bingle free. It was uh, bought in by a uh, privateer race car, um, a driver that um, you know, ran it for a couple of years. It ran at Bath- Bathurst, it was an Eastern States car. Um, but it, it, it is a total survivor where a lot of those have been rolled and reshelled and and every sure. event was because there was a lot of kissing and and, and, and and swapping paint in that racing. The um like a, I actually had a conversation today with a friend who's a car enthusiast who's in the market for a 911. He's had a lot of high performance cars, other brands, and he said, "Look, Mark, I finally come around. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite the bullet and buy a." 991 or something like that and um he says but what i really want is a gt3 rs you know he says i've got i haven't got enough money for one right now but that's what the aspirational car is and i suggested to him i'd be interested in your opinion on this i i've been fortunate enough to drive a few gt3 rs's i don't think they're very good road cars they're very brutal to drive and um as a track car incredibly capable as is you know, a result of the times and at all the Porsche Club events, you know, with the right drivers. But I wonder whether or not he would be better off buying a cup car to trailer to events, which is going to be better than a GD3 RS on the track, and then buy a nice 991 GDS, which is an incredibly comfortable road car with spirited performance because the GD3 RS is so expensive in this day and age. Whether or not the cup car and a nice road car would be a better solution than buying a gd3 rs you know 
I guess it comes down to what um, you know, what the skill level is of the person. Um, and if he just wants a car that he can puddle around and go around there and around the tracks and you know do mediocre times, um, you know pretty well buy anything he fancies. Um, you know it, it doesn't need to get a GT3 RS. Um, sure. He can get any any Porsche. You can put a you know, get a nine four four and do really well and have, have a great just as much fun. Um, but um, yeah, if he's if he's if he's got the budget that uh, he wants to you know get himself into something that goes quick and potential to to improve in, uh, the Cup car is a turnkey race car. And the great thing about it, it has the safety being that there's a full cage that's built into the car. It's all seam welded cars. They're um, very strong. The motors are designed to do the job. They're quite a simple car. You know, they're pre pre the um, the, the, the Hollinger type gearboxes uh, of the nine nine sevens. So they're a, a, a you know a normal um, yeah a, a normal H pack and six B gearbox um, with you know great fully adjustable suspension. Um, I think they they still are ridiculously um, good value at the you know you know one one ten to one fifty thousand dollar mark um, at this date that that type of car for getting a production um, Porsche race car that comes with a manual from Porsche yeah, and sure. a parts book from <laughs> Porsche um, and um, you know and they go they handle and. You know, an, an ultimate driver um, will enjoy it as much as um, a novice. Sure, sure. The um, yes, they do seem good value. You know, in the market today, when you compare them to the road cars, and if anything, that whilst a you know a rising tide on Porsche values lifts all boats, as you mentioned earlier, the nine two fours and nine four fours, yeah, any nine eleven, regardless of series, right. The, look at the SC prices these days compared to only 12 months ago. They've, they've effectively doubled in value in that period of time. Mm. But the cup cars seem to be pretty, you know, they're on a steady increase, but they're pretty, they've been pretty stable for a long time now. Like, you know, like you said, that 100 to 150 price point, cars have been that price for five years now. You know, the, there doesn't seem to be any big um, lift of value in those cars whatsoever. No, I think they need a lot of years to um, to get the massive lift in value. But the the bottom line is, you, you can't get any nine eleven that has anywhere near the amount of gear um, and race race creed as those nine nine sixes or those early cup cars. Mm-hmm. Um, you're paying one hundred and fifty plus, you know, for um, a, an SC um, with some track gear in it now. Yeah, that's true. And you are. You are. Right. And um, to get a, a, a nine nine six, which is a far far better better built car and a lot newer um, and designed for the job. I th- I I. I but you know, to answer your question, you know that they haven't had a big run run in dollar value because the market's quite small. You have to be, um, you know, you want to have to want a car that is predominantly well only used for race car. It's you can't drive it to the track. Sure. It's um, sure. so that that limits it straight away um, to someone that is going to get enthusiastic. Number one, they've got to buy the car. Number two, they've got to buy a trailer and it's something that can tow it with it, and then Someone some knowledge it. to maintain it and yeah. then store it. Versus a road car that they throw a set of decent tyres on and go and have a have a thrash around yeah, it sure, and sure. Um, and and like so that that's probably why they haven't had a, a run um, and will be slow in the run other than time will will be the one that that yeah. will move it. I think I think you're right there. The um, but nine six four cup cars, those things are gold plated. They're just like you know they're unicorns nowadays. They're, they're several hundred thousand dollars but you can see that the um low entry into these cup cars at the moment is very attractive to the enthusiasts you just mentioned because of the number of them that are now at just a normal porsche club track day you know there must be three or four of the cars regularly there now yeah you know because of you know the the whole thing of i could go and wring the neck out of my gt3 but with the values of gt3s nowadays the you know the the cup car looks like a viable option to go and have that playtime, I guess. It is. Track. It is. And as you say, there's more and more of them turning up. 
and uh, the, the times are um, they're, they're getting some great times. They're getting you know, around the 60s, 61, 62s out of those. And um, the newer and cup cars, box, isn't it? That's, oh, it no, you don't have to do anything. You just get behind no, the wheel if no. you're a dri- good driver, of no. course. But yeah, the car is so capable of just delivering that straight away to anyone. They are, and they're relatively able. simple to maintain. You know, if you buff any of these cars or put them into the fence or the wall, yeah, you, you, you know, you've got to have a, have yourself a checkbook that's going to work. Um, to put them back on the road, whether it's uh, an early one or, or the late one or the latest ones. But that's any car on the track. Uh, pretty that's, well. That's not yeah, unique Unless to it's an car. old bunker yeah. that you're just going <laughs> to dump and get another one. But uh, any Porsche, put it that way, because yep. they're, they're all going to cost a dollar to, to repair. Yeah, no doubt. And um, so what's the future for the uh, Porsche collection? We've talked about all the cars you have. Yes, all those, all the Porsches that I have, yeah, most certainly the... the um, well, because of the marks that they are, Porsches, the values, um, unlike some of the um, American um, early cars like uh, that are collector cars, like the T's and the A's, um, you know, the people that are enthusiastic about those of you know, n- not really able to drive them these days, so the values have stabilised and gone backwards. Um, these, because of the mark of, um, of, of a Porsche, um, I believe the values are going to you, know, you keep on, uh, maybe not accelerate as fast, but at least you know stabilise and and you know still be a, a jolly good investment. But the great thing is they're just fun to drive and um, you know um, and and they're very easy to maintain. Uh, the parts are aren't expensive um, for them and. Um, they're all at a level now. The the cars that I own, that yeah, they don't need any any hideous amount of work done to them. They they're all just really you know get the batteries plugged in and and the fuel changed and um, and use them. Are any of the uh, three five sixes still uh, six volt cars? Yes, the um, all of the ones that came out six volt are all six volt. Actually, the whole lot of them are six volt. Yes. Oh, is the SC a six volt car? Six volt car. Well, so okay. Mm. I, I would have thought they were all. Oh, I know there was a twelve volt battery option for those cars yes. in the C's, but I would have. I made the assumption all SC's were no. twelve volt. Well, it's interesting. No, yeah, it's okay. a six volt car. Everything. Um, all of them are six volt cars. And which which works fine. You've just got to uh, because of the amperage that's drawn on six volts. You've got to have your wiring really perfect to um, otherwise they don't like starting. There's you know enough energy to turn it over, but not enough energy to throw some spark at it. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, you're right. those you got to get those earths clean. There's no doubt about it on those cars. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yep. And um, so we've we've spoken about all the Porsches, and this is Porsche Talk podcast. Let's talk about some of the other cars in your um, collection. Let's talk about the Italian stuff. Yeah, Italian. Um, I've only got a couple of Italian vehicles. I've got a um, a, uh, a Yelpa, um, which is a Lamborghini. It's a 1983 Yelpa. Very, very unique car, and it's sort of um, it's it's the poor brother of the Contage. Um, at the time, it was. Um, I think it's unfair. I think it's the baby brother. Poor yeah, brothers poor a bit brother. unfair. Yeah, you know. yeah, probably. But right. they made yeah. less of them than they made Contages. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, they they've um, they made you know, four hundred and ten and um, and thirty uh, odd in right hand drive. This particular one is a right hand drive. Uh, the values of those have have, have, have done very very well um, on the coattails of the Contage, no doubt. Uh, and and also just the uniqueness of that particular vehicle. It was at a time that um, you know the, the um, Lamborghini was you know struggling and um, and they wanted and it, they wanted to um, have a car that they could get into the market a, a bit less expensive than than and and more drivable. Uh, because it has a um, an east-west mounted uh, V8 in it, which is a it's a pure mid-mounted car. Um, it's a twin cam V8 that runs uh, Weber carburetors. And, is it fickle? Um, sorry, is it fickle? Um, it was. It needed when I got it. I needed to get into it and, and get the thing tuned properly because uh, it had a lot of people playing with it. But it, you know, since I've got into it and got it running right, it's been good. And I, I, you know, started up the other day and took it for a drive, and and it's um, yeah, a nice car. Very you know, very kit carry feel to them because the build was so low. As are Quintages. Yeah, you know what I mean. The, and even Diablos. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you've ever sat in one or yeah. been in one, they don't. You know, 
They're no, not as good as they should be. They're, not, they're, <laughs> they're not a mass-produced car. A few years ago, I, I took um, the, the 930 and um, we got three, three couples and we went for a drive out into the, the, the wine district out of here and, yeah, sure. and took the 930, took the Yelpa and took the Testarossa, which is the other Italian car that I, that I have. And um, we swapped over from you know driver to driver over the day. And, uh, How good the, was the Porsche? The, the, the Porsche was, you know, number one, number two, the um, the, the Testarossa, and then um, the Yelpa, you know, was uh, was third by by a long ways. Uh, the Porsche is just unbelievable for you know the the three supercars of the day. Maybe not not the Yelpa as a total supercar, but still quite a quick car. Um, you know, they they were running head to head with the the, the Ferrari um, three hundred eight. Of the time, sure, yeah, yeah. and um, that was you know, the, and they had more output than the, the 308, so there they weren't any slug. Um, and then you know, obviously, the the 930 being the widow maker, as they they called it for a while, um, um, and then the Testarossa and the the Contage were at, at neck and neck, um, all the way through their, their range. And production years to try and uh, outbeat each other and uh, in extravagance and price. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it is. I know, there's a famous saying that uh, that you know the the guys at uh, at, um, at at Ferrari were you know drilling holes in their side of their cars and you know one of their reporters pop in and what, what are you when are you going to stop drilling holes when we beat Porsche. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, it might have been the other way around, but that's yeah. the way I like to remember <laughs> it anyway. The um, with the Yelpa for any listeners who aren't familiar with this car, Google it. It's Yelpa. It's spelled with a J, J A L P A. And you know what? It probably has the coolest font badge of the era. Like I love the Yelpa badge on the back of the car. Yeah, oh, it is so eighties. It's unbelievable. They created their own font for this badge. It is a cracker. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. And I actually think the cars age pretty well. You know, you talk about the you know the kit car feel about the car, which is no different to a Lotus of the era, right? Or no different to a lot of manufacturers of the era where they had such low production volumes because the demand wasn't so high yeah. on the cars. Um, I've been fortunate enough to drive a Countach, and it is one of those moments that you know the don't meet your heroes because I had one on the wall growing up. You know the silver. You know, Quintage uh, on the wall, and yeah, that was a pretty mediocre experience. So um, I hope sometime in the near future I get a have a look at the Yelper, your Yelper, and um, take it out for a spin and see how it actually feels in comparison. You know, to the Quintage because the Quintage was a dog to drive. I felt, I thought everything was so heavy. You know, and um, after driving Porsches of the era, which are so nimble and. Beautiful, yes. you know, and even Ferraris like three hundred eight and three hundred eight. So I think are nice driving cars, you know. Mm. And it's not like you're trying to wring the neck out of the things. It's they're great driving cars. Exactly, and and the Testarossa is actually for for a twelve cylinder car. You can put around as slow as you like in the thing. It's, it's a boxer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it, it's just you know the engine is just auto pawn those that horizontally opposed uh, boxer engine, and they did the boxer to obviously get the the centre of gravity so much lower um, in the in the for the race vehicles and it extended through to the um, you know the production cars and but the first thing driving that Yelper that I've found um, that it has torque steer Does so it really? yeah it has torque steer yeah, so you know, you, you put your foot down and the thing it veers goes straight along. Yeah, it doesn't go straight. <laughs> it actually veers off to the uh, to the direct direction of the, the right of the, the the torque of the engine. Well, is it okay? Yeah, That's so amazing. It is. It's very. Sounds unique. like it needs an LSD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you might be it might be onto something there. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, I wonder if anyone's actually developed one for all four hundred owners that uh, ever bought one of these cars. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. No, try and buy parts for that. It's non-existent. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, look, the good thing about Italian cars that era is they didn't make a lot of stuff themselves. No. They came from all the suppliers of the, yep. you know, that whole area of um, Modena and around that precinct of, uh, you know, that supercar 
territory around it does. It, Italy, it, around Bologna. Yeah, it it brings us to to the you know the car that is pretty well a, a pure kit car that I own is um, is the DeLorean, the DMC car. Oh, I forgot yet yeah, that car. Yeah, yeah, that's that is a, that is a kit car made out of a hundred plus different uh, manufacturers, bits and pieces. Yeah, Ostalegro door handles and four Capri brakes and and discs and and on and on and on and on and on. And on. It'd have to be one of the most novel cars you own. Like, if you brought, lined all your cars up somewhere, that would be one of the most attention-grabbing cars, I'd imagine. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You know, that, that's the one. When you're out there, there's there's people, um, you know, videoing it left, right and centre, and you know, wanted to stand beside it, you yeah. know, not because of the build quality by any means. because nah, of Back to the Future. <laughs> it's it's an, you know, iconic movie that, um, that, that you know, that, that put that car on the map. It certainly did that because, you know, look, without that movie, the car would have dropped into obscurity, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's front and centre of the, the, um, the Lemon book, that's for sure. Do they, <laughs> do they have, um, is it a rear engine or a mid-engine, that car? Rear. Rear, is it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're a rear-engine car. Mm. Right, okay. And um, so you've got a few American cars as well? Yes, um, yeah, a number of American cars. Uh, the early, earliest American car was a 1955 uh, Bel Air uh, convertible, which is a lovely car. I've had that out in the last couple of weeks, and that's... Looks that, like a textbook wedding car, that thing. It is, and I bought that because most of my cars are coupes, and to, you know, to get your friends and family out, um, you know, when you want to go for a drive somewhere, you know, you can take one person, you know, it's good for other people to enjoy it, so... I bought that and uh, put six seat belts in it, and uh, quite often, uh, you know, the three couples we go cruising in that, and uh, and uh, it is just a lovely fifty-five. It you just turn the key and it just boom into 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 life. Yeah, putter putter putter. Oh, putter, putter. it's just it's just lovely. <laughs> about nine hundred RPM. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a two six five, and it's three on the tree. You yeah, know, yeah, so okay. it's column change. It's classic, yeah. People think you're putting it into drive, you know, because sure. no, a lot of young people have never ever seen three on the track, uh, yeah. three a, a column change vehicle. Yep, yep. And um, yeah, so it's very happy days that car, isn't it? You it know, is. It is. And the classic. 55's a nice, nice car. You know, the 57 um, Chevrolet obviously you know, has a Credos with a, with the, with the big supporter crew but uh, I like the, the 55 is a really nice front and rear on them and and that one there is a, is a lovely car and then the next one um, that I have along is a 57 uh, Corvette which is a, a silver um, it has silver coves with a black car with red in, interior it was a uh, beautiful looking car absolutely lovely stunning car it had the twin four bell with the automatic um, the Bel Air in colour wise is, is cream and tangerine so it is the ultimate looking wedding car and I have used it for a number of um, you know, family members weddings and then um, a 57 T-Bird which is the porthole version T-Bird which is a Bear tuxedo no, I haven't got that. That was the um, the Continental pack ah, okay. that had that on the back. No, the spare wheels where it should be in the trunk, in the boot, you know, yeah. <laughs> where you could keep, you know, another two cars just about. The trunk's so big. But they, um, it's, a, it's a lovely car, and that's the tuxedo, you know, white white roof with, um, you know, beautiful black the full car. Nun, the full nun pack. Ah, it's lovely. And the inside's red, and, and that's a Survivor. That, that was uh, one that I got out of the States, um, and um, it was a family-owned from day one, a car out of Texas. Really? Mm. Uh, considering those two cars, I'm going to say those two cars, the Corvette and the T-Bird, head-to-head in the marketplace back in the day. That's right. right. Get woman to drive. That was, that was the... Yep. How, mm. how do they drive, comparison? Um, the T-Bird's a nicer one to drive. Why? Uh, really, the uh, ergonomics, well, there's a word that wasn't around in 57, <laughs> <laughs> because both of them are 57 cars, yeah, yeah. is um, the, 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 the T-Bird is very comfortable. You, you, the seat has a lot more adjustment. I'm by no means, I'm only 5'10", um, but um, the, the, you've got to drive the Corvette. The, there's no hardly any seat adjustment. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you basically, you know, being from race car driving for all my life, um, I like to drive a car with, you know, semi-straight arms, not not ones that are crossed up before you even start. Yeah, exactly. You know, 
It's um, it like, is looking like a T Rex. Yeah, it's it's it is so. Um, and uh, yeah, the handleability of them is similar. The the power um, being the being the Corvette is a, a bigger engine car. Um, is yeah, the, the, it, that's the only thing that comes to light is the ergonomics and and the, the comfort of a full bench seat versus you know the the of sure. the T Bird versus the Cor- Corvette is um, two bucket seats. Um, beautiful, beautiful seats in them. Then they're they're just a beautiful looking car. I think to me they're one of the nicest looking American cars ever built. Yeah. yeah so we're talking about Series One Corvette. Here, yeah. Right? The um, yeah. I'm a Ford sympathizer. Both my parents worked for Ford mm. growing up, right? Which is probably inherently why I'm a sympathizer. And I love a T-Bird, but I would have to say, of that era, that Corvette is a beautiful car. The, inter- the, the way the interior and the exterior are effectively one, you know what I mean, yeah. with the way the metalwork comes into the car, stunning. The, um, but of cars of that era, you've also got the 190 SL. Yes, that's what a 58. That? 58. Yeah. How's that Mercedes. drive in comparison to the American cars? Well, the, the, the 1958 uh, 190SL um, has nowhere near the output, and it, it is a manual version, but as far as drivability, um, it's, it's more of a car that you've got to rev a lot, lot higher, being obviously a four-cylinder. Sure. It, it turns and handles far better than... It does. Than, oh, yeah, it does. Um, but I have to have to say that both of those, uh, all of my American cars are running cross-ply tyres, uh, oh, okay. which changes life quite considerably. Yeah, yeah, considerably. sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Where the 190 is, is a radial tyre yeah. on it, so that, you know, that, that they, they do really good in a straight line. But to turn a corner, it's, um, you know, it, 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 a total understeer. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, fascinating. And um, the 190 SL, is that your only Mercedes-Benz? No, I have a, um, a 280 SL Loadster. Oh, nice uh, one. The Pagoda. Yep, yep. And that was, that, that's a lovely... Pretty car. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 190 um, car is an interesting background. That, that came out of Papua New Guinea. And um, it came from Papua New Guinea to Australia, to Japan, to New Jersey, to Florida, and I bought it from the guy in Florida. Um, and um, that that car it, it has travelled travelled a fair way round, but it's actually a right hand drive that I bought out of the states. Um, a lo- lovely car, yeah. No, it is. It was it, built, it was bought by this um, a guy who was high up in the U.S. military, and his wife had uh, a one ninety in the U.S., and he got transferred to Japan, and um, she um, wanted a one ninety in Japan, and there was. Um, um, they weren't allowed to take her left-hand drive one, so Mercedes around the world hunted one down for sale and grabbed that one out of um, out of Papua New Guinea. It was owned by a plantation owner and shipped it up there, and um, so it's a right-hand drive that um, you know came from here and went to, uh, via a, a couple of continents. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it's done more Ks on a ship than it has on the road. True. That's a lovely little car, but I tell you, you know, out of um, the older cars, so the the, the 280SL. Um, is just a lovely car. That's automatic power steering, dual climate control. You know, for the era of an early '60s car, um, they handle so lovely and they just so quiet. And you know, this one it came with nice, nice, you know, genuine wool seats covers yeah, okay, on it yeah, with sure. the Mercedes oh, emblem on the back of it. Sheepskin, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that, 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 is, that exactly, you know, and the nice, yeah, nice yeah, wooden, yeah. wooden um, dash and console yeah, yeah. in there, and and they they just they handle so well and. And the power of the 2.8 liter is 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 nice a car, and I've I've got the hard top for it, but I've never ever used it. It's always I keep it in the cabriolet version or the roadster sure. version. But they they are a, a very very nice car and beautiful looking, as good looking with the hard on hard top on as it is without it. I think I agree. The and very few cars can claim that in my opinion. Minimal. Yeah. Minimal. The um, I do find the. When I look at modern Mercedes-Benzes, and then you look at a Pagoda, you can't help but feel the brand might be losing its way. You know, it's just a little too vanilla, too many models. Like you know, when you unless you look at the badge, you don't know. No, if you, unless back in the day, in the you know, whether it's the sixties, seventies, eighties, 
when you bought a Mercedes Benz, you were buying something pretty special. Nowadays, like you said, it's, you know, look, just another car. And look, I understand car companies have to make money and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but it seems a shame that a car of that sort of heritage and that doesn't have something linked back to the past. It just doesn't feel like it. Mm, like smart car made with Mercedes. Yeah, that's right. You know, you have to, you have to worry, wonder where they, where they went with their marketing at that particular time. But uh, it's it, a lot of the cars t- today, you don't know whether they're, where they're built anyway. You're, you're and um, well. exactly. So it's it's much for much, and they're all after that, that middle, middle um, to higher bracket. Um, and... Um, as I say, you you can't tell whether it's a Mercedes or BMW or a Toyota. Or an Audi. You look at the badge, yeah. badge on the back. Yeah, you're or, right. Um, as you're driving down the road, in mm-hmm. the old days, like you were saying, up to really the 80s, you could tell instantly what these cars were. As, as a kid, and, um, you know, there's probably 15 or 20 years difference in our ages, right? As a kid for me, I prided myself in being able to identify every car that came down the road when I was in the car with mum and dad. Mm. That's this, that's that, this is that, this is that. Kids wouldn't stand a chance today. Oh, no, no. It could, it could, be, it could be a $200,000 Audi or a Kia. Exactly. And you wouldn't even know the difference. You, you know, coming no, straight until you. you see the badge, you know, you, you don't know. And, um, and, and they've lost their, lost their, their individuality. And that's a great thing about Porsche. They've um, retained it as best they can. They obviously, over the years, they you know, went to the 928, and went to some, which was a beautiful piece of engineering of the day, and the, uh, the 944, and then the, you know, the mixed bag of the 924, um, for, you know, front-engine cars. But, you know, from all their rear-engine cars, um, um, not, not counting the 914 being a mid, mid-engine car, you can tell pretty well off the bat it's a Porsche. Yeah, for sure. And um, like that silhouette yeah. is evolved today in the 992 when you see one on the road. If you see one parked, you can still see 356 in the shape. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the angle of the headlights. It's that the shape in general is an evolution of that rather yeah. than a revolution of uh, another blancmange. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just a mixed bag, a lot of these things. But... Um, you know, it's also, you know, what budget you have as well. It's, uh, you know, get into, if you're into, into wanting a classic car, just get into anyone, you'll, anyone you can put your, put your money into. I do, I do love that the early Japanese cars that were so disposable in my youth are coming on trend for these young guys. You know, I love that they do this, that the guys are actually, you know, early rear-wheel drive Corollas and stuff like this, that these cars are getting some love from these guys because it's a cheap entry point for them, you know? Yeah. The same way I was with Beatles and stuff like that, you know? The same mentality where, oh, yeah, it cost me a thousand bucks to buy a Beetle and if, if you if you pop the motor, you go down the record and buy another motor for 80 bucks type mentality, you know? I do love that, that this is a, a thing, you know, that with these Jap cars now. It is, and, and there's a lot of them around, you know, obviously... Yeah, pre-COVID, there was a bit easier to buy, but um, but all, all saying that, you know, you can always find uh, um, you know a car that uh, needs a little bit of love if you're prepared to give the love to them and get them at a good value. But I saw a Sigma the other day. I can't even tell you how long it was since I saw one before that. You know, it would have been 15 years since I've seen a Sigma on the road, but someone's found one and has got it back onto, you know, he's lowered it, he's put his wheels on it, had a P-plate on it. This was his kid's pride and joy, you know. But I was loving it, you know. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Um, Well, I really appreciate your time and um, talking to me about the cars you have. And, again, listeners, please check out the um, videos I've done with John in the past. We're playing a few more in the future and – We'll have a look at some of the cars we've spoken about today and a bit closer. And um, again, thanks for your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. Great. All the best. Thank you.